I'm Dr. Kristen Casey. I'm a clinical health psychologist. I specialize in insomnia and anxiety disorders, and you're listening to On Call Empath. Hey guys, we are back for another episode of the On Call Empath. And today's episode, we have a very good topic that I think a lot of you empaths are going to like. It's going to be about sleep and how it affects our mental health. And my next guest, Dr. Casey, she is one of the best out there. Um, She's not your typical um, therapist. Uh, She's going to tell you how it is. She's got tattoos and um, I wish I had someone like her growing up, but Dr. Casey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing so good. So happy to be here. I'm like honored <laughs> to be here. I love your podcast. <laughs> I appreciate it. I love what you're doing with everything. And and sleep seems to be uh, a very big topic just in general. And I know you just came out with a, a, a book. Um, now, is that's out on Amazon right now, correct? It is. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> there's a paperback version and a Kindle version. Cool, cool. So let's just dive right in, you know, um, Tell me a little bit about you and how you even got into sleep and all of that. Because usually with therapists, they have different specialties. This is your forte, correct? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting how I got involved in sleep. It it kind of happened by accident. So so what happened was, as you know, I'm a clinical psychologist. So I have to go through training and internship and fellowship and all these clinicals. And during my um, internship, my clinical internship at the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs, we have to do these rotations they're required. So one of the rotations for me was uh, running this uh, sleep class. And I I was telling my colleague, I was like, this is so boring. This is going to be so boring. Like I'm dreading this. Like this is going to suck. You're going to fall asleep. (laughs) I'm going to fall asleep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, this is not going to be fun for me. Um, I ended up falling in love. So it, it was interesting how it happened because I was like begrudgingly like, you know, teaching this class and helping people with their sleep. But I noticed that people were getting better so quickly. And I noticed that even the people that, you know, didn't really have much mental health issues, they just had sleep stuff going on. They got better so, so, so quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do know on, on your podcast, you really talk a lot about like empaths, highly sensitive people. That was an episode recently. Yeah. Uh, and I noticed that people who are really in tune and in tune with other people, they, a lot of them do struggle with sleep um, because they're really, really thinking about these things. Yeah. So w- that's kind of how I got into it. But even before that, I was an EMT on an ambulance. And as you would imagine, I was up all night answering calls. It was yeah. just crazy. So I dealt with my own insomnia too. So now I just focus a lot on sleep, especially on my, um, on my social media channels. People love talking about it, which yeah. I'm jazzed about because I love talking about it too. So that's kind of how I got into it. Very cool. And I mean, just in general, just the population, I think sleep is something, um, at least for me, like personally, if I don't get enough sleep, um, I have all kinds of elements the next day. I feel tired. Um, Sometimes I get anxiety um, and I'm just not at my best. So to just kind of dive in here, um, what kind of myths um, do do you have about like insomnia and all of that that comes with sleep? especially sleep disorders, I should say. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that. So there's over 70 sleep disorders, which is mind blowing. Um, I specialize in just insomnia, <clears throat> but be happy to talk about sleep in general in terms yeah. of like the myths. So I think one myth is everybody requires eight hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Not everybody does. Um, like you said, sometimes there's anxiety, sometimes there's a mental health issue, sometimes there's stress and our body doesn't exactly need as much sleep. So if we're just say we're... Um, 
you know, uh, we're drinking caffeine, we have a lot going on, you know, we might not actually require that much sleep because mm -hmm. uh, sleep is for restoration. It's not for relaxation. So mm -hmm. whatever amount of time that takes for our body to restore its certain biological processes, then that's kind of how much we need. There are people out there that say eight hours and I'm good. And that's great. You know, if that works for you, um, mm -hmm. for me personally, it's about like six, six and a half. And if I have any more than that, I get like a little groggy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's a big myth. Um, another myth is that you need sleep medications if you're experiencing yeah. insomnia, right? Like, what do I take to make this go away? Right. And we noticed that the first line treatment for chronic insomnia, insomnia lasting like more than three or four months, um, is actually cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. We're super mm. excited about this as psychologists because it's wow. not a medication and it's a first line treatment, um, okay. which is really unique um, for something like this. Acute insomnia uh, resulting from like jet lag or something like that, right. over-the-counter medications usually will do the trick. But those are the two big myths that I hear about. So what can I do? Like, cause I know I, I go to melatonin and mm -hmm. I try to dim the lights, put the candles, stop the internet and the blue screen. And I just make my bed, you know, very comfortable at night, but sometimes with empaths, the people that you guys that are all listening, a lot of my clients that complain, like at night, the brain starts to all those worries come up no matter what they do they can do whatever like they're supposed to in the bedroom and make sure that it's only for sleep because we're mm -hmm. creatures of habit and all that jazz. What are some of the things that, that you feel that do work for people that have anxious minds or um, that you help your clients with basically? Yeah. You know, what you're talking about is actually rooted in a lot of the science. So we think about three building blocks for a good night's sleep. The first is high sleep drive. So our body's biological need for sleep. If we wake up, and we're active throughout the day, usually we become more tired as the day goes on because our body mm -hmm. actually needs sleep. The second is our circadian rhythm. So if you're waking up at the same time every day and you're exposing yourself to light right upon waking, that usually helps create a really good rhythm. And that actually helps with melatonin too, because mm -hmm. if we wake up at the same time every day, our bodies will know when melatonin is needed. And then the third is actually low arousal or anxiety. So this is the one that people struggle with the most, especially people who are empaths uh, because yeah. they're thinking about a lot of things, right? So, um, the anxiety that happens when you enter your bed, um, sometimes that could be conditioned and sometimes it isn't. So I love how you're setting your bedroom up and you're making it very dark and cool. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. When we get into bed, sometimes for some people, there's this cognitive association that happens. They actually associate the bed with wakefulness rather than sleepiness. So if you're getting mm -hmm. into bed and you're thinking, okay, this is where I could think about things. This is where I have space yeah. to think about things, or this is my safe space to think, then that's what your body will do. Um, anxiety at night or anxiety in general is also a survival mechanism. So back in the day, you know, the theories out there are when we were hunter gatherers among all these bears and other wild animals, um, if we weren't anxious, then we could die in our sleep, right? Because we mm -hmm. weren't aware. So that actually, um, even if the two other building blocks of sleep are set, like uh, circadian mm -hmm. rhythm and sleep drive, anxiety will always keep you up, even if you have not slept in days, because your oh. body does, wants to it's, it's really focused on survival, basically. Right. So what people could do for that is practice stress or no practice anti-arousal measures outside of the bedroom. So you want to practice practice makes progress, right? So right. if you're experiencing anxiety in your lived life, like right before you go to sleep, you want to practice. What do I do in this moment to mm -hmm. reduce my anxiety threshold? You might give yourself a, a number like, Hey, my anxiety is um, like an eight out of 10 right now. Let me try to get it to a seven out of 10 and see what that feels like. So then sure. when you're in bed, you could do that exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> some of the things that I hear, especially with 
trauma victims, um, when they get triggered or, or they don't feel good, they'll stay in bed all day sometimes. Um, and so my question to you is if somebody is in bed, like, let's say some days out of the week, because they had a bad day, they don't want to get up and they just want to stay and watch TV or whatnot. Is that going to mess up the whole rhythm of your sleep or is it okay to do it once in a while? Cause I know that you've mentioned like, if you need to take a day off to Netflix and chill and all that kind of jazz, can mm-hmm. we do that in bed and, and not uh, make it a habit or. That's a really good question. So <clears throat> I actually struggle with that too. <laughs> when, too. I, when I take a day <laughs> off, I, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Let me tell you, like your bed's so comfortable for a reason. And That's you never what I get do. I have no other yeah. furniture, but my bed. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so in an ideal situation, and I say ideal because there's always, uh, everybody has different living arrangements, right? In terms of furniture, accessibility, you know, do they have access to other uh, furniture items? Um, are they able to actually move, right? Some people have disability issues, right? So right. when I think about this, ideally, we don't want bed to be for relaxation. We just want it to be for sleep, sleep and sex. Those are the only two things. It's really difficult, but those are basically what we want to strive for. If that's not possible, what I suggest is have one side of your bed um, used just for sleep and the other side for relaxation. If you can make that happen, maybe have different pillows on that side, pop them up, maybe potentially sit up a little bit. Um, Because what happens is, are you familiar with Pavlov? and the yeah. dogs and mm-hmm. the meat powder. Okay. Yeah. So for those listeners out there, I'm sure they know about this, but um, it's a quick Google search, but basically he studied uh, conditioning. So um, what he did was he took, um, he took a couple of dogs, right. And he had a bell. The bell is a neutral stimulus, basically. Mm-hmm. Like if you hear a bell, you don't associate that with really anything unless right. it's like a fire alarm bell. Right. Um, so he tried to pair um, this food and feeding schedule with the bell so that the dogs mm-hmm. would actually salivate to the bell rather than just smelling the meat powder or the meat. Mm-hmm. So what happened was they would hear the bell and then they would start salivating even without the presence of the right. meat. And the same exact thing happens with our bed. So mm-hmm. if, yeah, it's, it's crazy because the bed is technically a neutral stimulus if, if we really think about it. Um, but we're pairing it with anxiety. We're pairing it with wakefulness yeah. and then we're kind of staying awake. So to your point, I think once in a while, um, great. It happens to all of us. But if we notice that it's a pattern, our bodies might start to catch on. So we might yeah. want to try to relax in potentially a different area of our room if you're in yeah. a studio apartment or something. Okay. Very interesting. I mean, I didn't know that. Um, I don't know if there, I'm going to just mention a couple things. And if you can tell me if this is something that you heard that is effective or not, I've heard that sometimes if you lower the temperature in a room or um, you start dimming the lights as um, the as you get later at night, like I'll, I'll turn off lights in the room just to kind of get my brain to kind of calm down. Do, does any of those things work? And what would you say would be like the number one thing that does kind of work that someone could use right after this podcast to mm-hmm. kind of go back to regular sleep rhythms? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I love the two that you mentioned because those two are really, really rooted in the research. So the first is the temperature, right? So <clears throat> we do notice that our bodies drop a little bit in temperature as we're sure. sleeping. So if the bedroom is dark and cool, then it's going to help aid yeah. with our sleep architecture and getting into those cycles and stages of sleep. So that's definitely something helpful if, if possible, right? Um, and then the second one is the dimming of the lights. And I love that because really what you're doing is you're helping your circadian rhythm and you're aiding it, right? Especially when there's daylight savings time and all this stuff happening, right? It's difficult. Mm, um, yeah, Michigan. The, the main, yeah, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the main thing in, in my mind is um, the dimming of the lights and 
consistency is going to be very, very helpful. So light and consistency, if those are two things that you take away from this podcast today, that's what I would uh, give out there. Right. And I'll, and I'll explain that. So um, our circadian rhythm is kind of housed in a way, um, I'm generalizing this, but housed in the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is in the hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus is regulated by consistency and exposure to light when it comes to circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. So if those are two things that you could do, your brain really responds well to those. It's like that reptilian part of our brain that yeah. is just kind of focused on that, those two things. Um, so for me personally, what I do, I really struggle to wake up in the morning. I really, yeah. I'm not an, I'm not a morning person. So it sucks. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> right? nocturnal. I know we do. I'm like, am I okay? Yeah. So, um, and there's people out there and, you know, there's a lot of bias, um, you know, among night owls out there, but I, um, basically what I try to do is the minute my alarm goes off, I turn my lights on and I put my feet on the ground and I just get out of bed and I hate it. I hate it mm-hmm. every morning, but I do it. Right. So it helps with my circadian rhythm. Right. And at night I really do lower the temperature and do exactly what you said of like yeah. dimming the lights and all that. So those are two things that I would take away. Yeah. I mean, I think it's 10 times harder, especially in the, where you live on in the U S or even overseas or whoever's listening. If you live in a place where it's always dark and you don't like, sometimes I'll wake up, it's pitch dark and I'll go to bed. It's pitch dark, especially in the winter time. Um, I go between sometimes Arizona, California and, and Michigan, Michigan is dark, like a lot during these, you know, this time of month where some days it's just pitch dark all day. And I'm like confused. I can put lights mm-hmm. on. I can, you know, go outside, but I'm like, how do you like, and then the day like savings, which throws me off uh, also. So it is challenging, especially if you live in a, in a state that's, that's kind of messed up like where I live. Oh right yeah. Now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You're, you're bouncing all over the place. I lived, in, <laughs> I lived in Arizona for a while and I, I will tell you, my sleep was so good when I lived there. Oh, yeah. I don't really know why. Like I was like, the what's sun. going on? You wake up in the sun, sun. And you go to bed at sun, you know, like, I know. <laughs> I have, I had a colleague who did his internship in Alaska and I always wanted to ask him <laughs> about the light situation out there. Cause I'm not well versed in like right. light, whatever. But, um, a lot of people up there, apparently they have like light boxes, like UV light boxes yeah. that aid in like, you know, um, just sunlight or just exposure to light and stuff like that. So I've recently got, I, I got a, um, an alarm clock. That's really, really cool. And yeah. it, oh, it like just starts, it almost looks like a sunrise in a way. Yeah. And I tried, I was like, let me just test this out and like right. not have an alarm alarm and just have the sunlight thing. And it actually worked. It really did work. It woke me up. I was like, this is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that there's some people that do have seasonal depression um, mm-hmm. that deal with this, even if they live in a warm, sunny climate, I mean, it could affect anyone. I know um, that's something some people deal with as well. But yeah, it's just very interesting stuff. I always wondered like, what can I do just to make my sleep even 10% better? Just because there's such a night different uh, day and night difference because the next day, if I can feel like when I, you know, don't have enough sleep. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and it's so interesting too, because when I started to research sleep um, and I started to get involved in like projects about sleep, uh-huh. I really, I really had no idea the impact. Like I, I knew about the research, you could read an article and you could read several articles, uh-huh. meta analyses, you can involve yourself in all the research, but when you try to do it yourself, it's actually really difficult. So I give my clients a lot of credit for following through on these things. Cause they're not easy. And I think the hardest thing is what we touched on before is the consistency. So like waking up at the same time every day, even on weekends, that's yeah. difficult. <laughs> you know, who wants yes. to wake up at 6am on a Saturday when you have the whole day off, right? Yeah. So it's hard, but it really, really helps. And we do notice too, that it helps with mental health. Um, so I know that sometimes when we're really in tune with other people's emotions, and we're really taking on a lot of people's energy, it can be really draining, right? Yeah. So if we're getting enough sleep, 
then I think it helps us kind of regulate in a way. Um, yeah. and it, cause I, I find myself too in session, like I, I'm, I would consider myself empathic, right? Like kind of taking on people's feelings mm -hmm. and I've had to stop that. <laughs> so especially in therapy, um, just so that I could have empathy, but like not kind of be completely involved. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that when I got more sleep, I was better able to do these things, you know, and yeah. I would be like on my game in a way. Yeah. Once you get it down, it's, you know, it's like a habit, you know, you right. can change, right. change it. And that's what I tell a lot of people, you know, I don't, it takes, you know, a couple of weeks, just keep doing it consistently and um, and then you develop a habit. So interesting stuff. So I just want to change gears really quick. Mm -hmm. And I just want to kind of just ask you about sleep treatment. If you can kind of tell us about that and what are probably one of the one number one things that people hate about it. <laughs> yep. Oh my God. Perfect. I love these questions. So, so there's several treatments out there. So depending on the sleep disorder that you have, the treatment will look different. Like I said, there's over 70 sleep disorders. If we're just focusing on insomnia, mm -hmm. which is, um, difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, um, waking up and feeling dissatisfied with the quality of our sleep. Um, mm -hmm. If that's really the, the key that's going on, the first line treatment is um, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And you could go to a psychologist or a therapist who offers that. I will say it's it seems to be very limited. Um, mm -hmm. There's not many providers who offer that. Um, I, I just know a handful of people, even in my own circle, who do. So I've actually, um, just for accessibility, I've been really talking to a lot of these apps, um, that provide not tech, it's not treatment. Um, but they'll provide like coaching or potentially just like information about sleep, you know, just so mm -hmm. they can kind of get a little more info. Um, that's the first line treatment. People hate it because, um, it's really hard. <laughs> it's really difficult to make changes. Um, right. when we have habits and stuff. So I do notice the first two weeks of treatment, people are coming, you know, it's a session exhausted. Like they're like, I hate this. But then I notice I don't see those people again for years, which is a really good thing in my field. Mm -hmm. You want people to just, you know, be okay. <laughs> you know, um, even if I never see them again, I'll, I'll deal with that. But um, right. that part's hard because you're looking at caffeine use, you're looking at naps, you're looking at the time in bed, you're mm -hmm. not bed lounging, meaning like you're not staying in bed longer. Mm -hmm. So we take a lot of data about sleep and we're pretty, we're pretty critical. Like, hey, you woke up at this time this day and this time this day. So it could be a vulnerable experience for people as well. Um, so that's kind of the first line treatment for insomnia. There's also medications. Um, so second line treatment, they still work technically, but they're not nearly as effective as CBTI, but it mm -hmm. depends on the circumstance. Some people do both. Um, so you could get prescription medication for insomnia. And then there's also over the counter medications like, um, diphenhydramine, which is Benadryl and Zequil. It's the same drug. Right. Um, so people usually take that as well, but then they notice there's like a hangover effect the next day and they're groggy. Um, then it's yeah. difficult to wake up. And then I'm like, <laughs> we got to wake up at the same time. Wait, you know, so there's all these, there's all these things. Um, so with those treatments, you know, the side effects are usually the most, uh, the biggest points of contention for people. Like I don't want to feel groggy. Um, yeah. That's one of the things I, I be careful about, like all those Z quills and night quills and stuff over the counter. Like sometimes it, you, you just feel restful. You thought you mm -hmm. think you're restful, but it's like, <laughs> not quality sleep and quality sleep is what kind of what I go for, you know, just cause yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think about it this way too. Like the number doesn't matter as much as the quality, right? Like mm -hmm. you're saying. So if you get a solid six hours of sleep, maybe mm -hmm. you have two awakenings, which is technically normal. It's normal to have awakenings overnight, which is mm -hmm. another myth. People are like, I want to sleep through the whole night. I'm like, something's going on. If you're not waking up at least once, or at least like some, like something's happening every now and yeah. then, you know? Um, but, um, if that's a quality sleep for you, great. You know, um, some people want the number, which I get, you know, everybody wants yeah. eight hours of sleep. So yeah, it just depends on the person. Yeah. 
Very interesting stuff. So just kind of wrapping up here, I know you've got a lot of things going on. You, I'm excited about your book. If you want to just kind of tell us where we can find it and, um, you know, it was the title and, and anything else you want to add, uh, feel free to do yeah. so. Yeah. So um, my book, it's this, uh, this yellow book right here. It's called Life Lessons to Master Before You Die. It's a quick read. It's only 70 pages, 72 mm-hmm. pages, maybe. Um, so basically what I did was on the ambulance and as a therapist, psychologist, evaluator, um, I noticed that people struggle with very similar experiences, um, whether or not they have mental health issues. And I really wanted to take all of the things that people have told me about what they wish they could master before they die, basically, and put it mm-hmm. into one book. So it's a way for me to honor my clients, obviously, with confidentiality. There's never any clients' names in there or anything. Um, But I did notice, like, for example, like showing up authentically or, you know, having those real deep conversations with people that you love before they die, like really trying to live a really authentic, meaningful life, because I think it's important. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the book itself, um, it talks about, you know, the pattern and like maybe what people experience and then how to mitigate it. Like, what do I do about this? (laughs) Because people want strategies, right? Um, so that's that book. Um, I also have a book about insomnia coming out next next year. I actually oh, just signed a contract. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so that, that'll be in the works. Um, but yeah, you could find it on Amazon. Um, if you follow me on any social media platform at Dr. Kristen Casey, it'll be a link in my bio there too. Awesome. And and I'll uh, I'll link everything in the bio in this uh, episode. If you guys are watching YouTube or even on a podcast, just go ahead and click it and uh, you can definitely check it out. I was looking through some of the chapters and... Um, I mean, you've got a lot of good stuff in there. I know one section of uh, chapter uh, four, you said, you know, your opinion uh, of others, that's what kind of matters. Like sometimes uh, empaths that affects us, uh, you know, overall in our lives, because we're always wondering what other people are thinking, if they're going to accept us. And I found that like, okay, so I can resonate with that, like, because that's something that I think about a lot. Like, are, are they going to accept me? Are they going to like me? And that affects my sleep a little bit, you know? Oh, just... <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'll keep you up all night, like yeah. wondering what people think. And I think about it on this, uh, like on a basic spectrum of, you know, it might not be so helpful to always think about what other people think. I mean, it's helpful for certain things like risk assessment and, you know, Mm -hmm. making sure that you're safe and stuff like that. But I think sometimes when we focus on that too much, then we lose sight of living our life for us. And then we're kind of focused on what other people think of us. Yeah. Really, truly at the really, truly is the only thing that matters, right? How you feel about yourself. Yeah. Um, And, and I, like you said, I think for empaths, it is hard because there's a lot going on, right? It's like, what's this person thinking? What's this person's mood? Like, mm-hmm. you know, is what I'm bringing to the table affecting them in any way? How are they affecting me? Right. So there's a lot of internal dialogue. Um, so I, it's definitely difficult. And that's one that I struggle with too. I struggle with that a lot of, you know, should I care about other people's opinions? Um, and not all opinions <laughs> are weighed the same, right? Yeah. So if somebody really cares about you and they're giving you their opinion, yeah. that makes sense. If it's a stranger on the internet with no profile <laughs> picture, it's like, okay, let's think about this, you know? Right. Yeah, those those hurtful comments that you get. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've gotten a couple and it's like, why does this stink so much? I don't know who this person is. There's right. there's no followers on the other end. Uh-huh. But as empaths, it, it you know, it does hurt. <laughs> it does, oh, yeah, it stinks for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dr. Casey, um, you're doing amazing stuff. And um, it was just an honor for you to be on the podcast. And you're always welcome back. And just I'm looking forward to your new book. And uh you're always, uh, like I said, welcome back to the show. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. It's an honor. I am obsessed with this podcast. <laughs>
Oh, that means a lot. Yeah. I I list every new episode. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a new one. Um, And I listen to it. So yeah. That means a lot coming from you. So with that said, guys, check her out. Check out her website and her book and the Instagram. All that will be in the bio. This will be coming out this week. And uh, always keep moving forward. And stay tuned for the next episode. And we are out.